Hello and welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay and I hope you enjoy tuning into this contemporary archive of stories on the subject of mother and parenthood. I believe in the connective power of this experience, whether it be that someone's story reflects our own or gives us the opportunity to learn and see something new. I hope that this podcast taps into the power of shared stories and that it may become a portable community for you wherever you are, illustrating the many ways we become parents and families, the lives that we live and the journey we make to find ourselves within it all. Thank you for coming on this journey with me and let's jump into the show. This week I'm talking with Mary Beth LaRue about her journey of awakening experienced through her transition into motherhood, coming to adopt her son through the foster care system. Mary Beth shares how she came to realise that she wasn't meant to meet her baby the way she thought she was, trying to conceive with her husband and then being directed to try fertility treatments. It wasn't until she mentioned the idea of adoption that Mary Beth felt a true spark of excitement at the idea of becoming a mother. From the moment she got the call, calling her to her son, to the years spent living in uncertainty, Mary Beth shares the emotional commotion that came hand in hand with her life's greatest joy. I know you will love coming along this journey with Mary Beth, and I am so very thankful to her for sharing her story and enriching the idea of family with her own words and colours. Hi Mary Beth, how are you? I'm good, happy to be here. Yay. Should we jump in? Because we're going to have a lot to talk about, I feel. And uh, would you like to maybe introduce yourself to the listeners and share a bit about, um, I guess, who you are and your family? Sure. I'm Mary Beth LaRue, and I currently live, and I hope forever, in Evergreen, Colorado. (laughs) My family and I moved in September from East LA after a decade plus, and we live at 8,500 feet on a mountain. We have six chickens and our English bulldog and yeah, we're and just a truck. <laughs> and a truck and now a truck. Yes. We're very excited about that. And I'm the mother to a wonderful little boy who will be three in December. His name is Angel Aiden. And we became his parents through foster adoption, which we will be diving into in a big way. And for work, I am a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and I also created a program called Embodied by MB. It's embodied-based practices. I am a writer, and I love to read. It's my favorite thing in the world. And now my other favorite thing in the world is to sit in the hot tub when it's just complete darkness, because there's no light up here except the moon. I was going to say, do you just have... Oh, stare at the stars. Yeah, stare at the stars. And I might have to finish the podcast now because my uh, (laughs) the envy. (laughs) I'm really happy for you and so sad for me. Come visit. Come visit. Yeah. I'd love to watch out. (laughs) And Mary Beth, I know having read through your blog, it was an interesting path to motherhood, not just because of the path of foster adoption, but you talk a lot about, I guess, the listening into your body and your body was telling you a a message, I guess, that motherhood through pregnancy and birth might not have been your path. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's really well said. Yeah, I, I feel, although I question a lot in life, when I married my husband, I knew he was meant to be a father. And he was very excited about that. And so as we 
after we got married and whatnot, and we just started to try and to get pregnant. And I, I don't even know how to, my heart wasn't in it really. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I would, I was frustrated that I wasn't getting pregnant because I thought it was, I mean, I thought it would be just like a mechanic. movie. You just say, wait, I'm ready. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is what happens. And now I am very clear on that not being the case. <laughs> and so this went on for a while, some half-assed trying at getting pregnant. And <laughs> I like that as a term. <laughs> a lot of breakdowns and crying to my best friend of not being sure if, you know, I wanted to be a parent and whatnot. And so, yeah, we eventually made our way to a, a fertility clinic and were told that we didn't have a very high percentage of conceiving. And then basically from being told that we were then ushered into another room where we are handed a lot of pamphlets and told, here's where you sign, let's do it. Here's what it costs. And I just, I had a really visceral reaction and it just didn't feel like our path. And yeah, that felt clear. Uh, That felt clear finally. Mm. And do you think, again, having read a bit about your experience, there was quite a bit of numbness that I guess was hanging over you in the period before you became a mother and maybe it was during this period of time as well. Do you think it was things like your practices of yoga and meditation? And I guess I'm trying to ask, how does one listen to their body when they're feeling so numb? I don't think I really learned to listen until I became a mom. So yes, I did to a certain degree, but I I wasn't awakened until I saw Angel. Yeah, and so where the way we got there (laughs) was Matt and I after we had gone to the fertility clinic, we were on a walk a couple days later, like literally two days later, and I said, "What do you think about adoption?" And that's, that's all I said. I didn't even really understand the intersection of foster care and adoption. And just said, what do you think about adoption? And his entire like face lit up and his eyes and I felt the same way. And it just landed of like, oh, this is why I was feeling the way I was feeling. I wasn't meant to meet my baby the way that I mm-hmm. thought that I was because of how the rest of the world and what I was seeing modeled for me was pregnancy and birth and biological. And so I remembered that one of my yoga students who was always in the front row of my class, her name's Taylor. She's an earth angel. She said that she worked in foster care and adoption. And that's what I recalled. I I didn't even really remember foster care. I just remembered adoption. So I sent her a message. And the next day I went over to her house And she explained to me, I'm pretty sure she drew me a diagram, honestly. She explained to me like how foster care and adoption intersect and that it's totally uncertain (laughs) and you have (laughs) no idea as you become a parent if this child will stay or if you will adopt. So really, the intersection is not even why you should really now, as I believe, go into it. It's you go into foster And if you adopt, it's because you were absolutely supposed to, right? Like the state really tries to find a way to reunify a child with their biological family or relatives. And so 
I started feeling less numb hearing this. Like, oh, okay, this sounds terrifying. And wow. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> this sounds, yeah, this yeah. sounds like a very interesting way to become a parent. So I think it was two days later, my husband and I were at the office of uh, Extraordinary Families in LA, a foster family agency. And we decided that day, less than a week after going to the fertility clinic, that we would foster and adopt if we were, yeah, if we were led to do so. Yeah. And so that's how that journey started. So that was end of May. And we met our son December 19th. Wow. It's funny, like, sorry to all the listeners, you didn't get to see Mary Beth's face, but even now, like the way you light up when you think of that moment with you and your partner, and I actually thought it might be a bit weird, but it's almost like that was the moment of conception of your son and your family, and it just feels like so strongly that emotion is still there. And well, I- even after we went to the agency, we went and got Taiwanese food. It's our favorite. And there was this big mural on Sunset Boulevard. And it said, stand here and think about someone you love. And there's this picture of, I, of, of Matt and I standing there thinking of this future baby. Mm-hmm. And just like that day, that was, yeah, I absolutely feel like that was a moment of conception. And, and he was in utero at that point. Right. So like thinking of that, too, of like when he was conceived and even you might have to leave me because I'm a little excited when I talk about Angel. I'm usually quite organized, but (laughs) (laughs) but even even when we signed our paperwork, we signed our paperwork, allowing us to finally like bring a child into our home two weeks late and Angel was born two weeks early. So the day that we signed the paperwork was what like it just all lined up and you'll hear how it like sounded like it was not going to uh, work out for him to stay either. But in that moment, like it lined up, he was absolutely supposed to come into our home and lives. What is that? I never say his name, right? Paolo Coelho quote. And it's something from the alchemist, which I've just read recently. And it's about how, when you have an idea or when you want something with such truth, the whole universe conspires to bring it Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. And I just think in my life, it's usually an organic process when really incredible things come into my life. And even, you know, I'm sure at the point you were so stressed, like we're two weeks late with the paperwork, like, you know, we're going to miss out. And then he was two weeks early and unbeknownst to you, it's all just lined up. The plan, it's the plan. And it wasn't even that I was stressed because it wasn't like there was a particular child I had in mind. I couldn't picture, we never like specified boy, girl, even age, really definitely not race or ethnicity. And so I would picture, try to picture a child, but there's uh, endless options, <laughs> but, right? But this... It could be any soul. <laughs> but it, there was an excitement in me, like I've seen in people who are waiting for their baby to be born, like that excitement. And that's how okay, I felt. I can't wait to meet you. Yeah. Yes. Like I just, I felt lit up in a way that I had not prior. And I also had done a lot of inner work And felt like I was still a bit numb, but the clearest I had been in years. And so I I felt very, very intentional about how I was showing up and and why. And then what was the moment like when I imagine you get a phone call saying we have a baby for you? 
<laughs> I, I'm sorry. I've actually got goosebumps. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. It's so crazy. So to become a foster parent, you go through orientation, then you go through training, then you go through home study, background checks, tons of interviews. So it's like months, months, months. So while other people might be like, you know, getting a nursery ready and stuff like that, like we were in this like full on paperwork kind of like pregnancy, right? And then, <laughs> so that was one of the Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I, it, was, it was an intense time. So a lot of other foster parents told us, you'll get a lot of calls. You, you don't need to say yes, like really listen and hear. Like if this is a child that sounds like who needs to come into your home, there will be another parent. And we, this was our first call. And I was in Venice and I was about to see a private client I've had forever. And the phone rang and it said extraordinary families. And I pulled over to the side of the road. I know exactly where I was parked. I've gone back there many times. And Emily said, there's a baby. And she said, she said, he's six days old and he needs to go home now. He's in the hospital. And he's, you know, he doesn't have a name. His name is baby boy. And there's no one for him. And, and then we knew that he was a Mexican. That's all we knew. Little boy, no name. And I said, okay. And I called my husband and I said, he's here. Like it's him. And Matt goes, we're not supposed to take the first call. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, babe, that's based on other people's experience, right? That's not based on fact. And so I told him and we had a few minutes to decide. But in that time, DCFS could have called other parents and asked in the time that we were waiting five minutes, right? So I call back and I say, okay, yes. And I have to drive all the way back to our house, which is on the other side of LA, which if you know LA, it's a few miles an hour. And I'm just crying and I'm like so charged up. And we get home and DCFS says, oh, we have to see if the baby still needs a home. I'm like, oh, my God. Right. Well, this is the beginning of uh, years of this. <laughs> this uh, back and forth, up and down roller coaster of a ride. So get home. They say, yep. They tell us the hospital he's at. We go and take the car seat out of the box. It's not even out of the box. His room's ready, but we don't know who he is. Like, there's no. Um, and so we drive to the hospital and get these name tags and say, we're here. We're foster parents. We're here to, you know, meet, meet our son. son. But we're also like, you have to be careful, right? Like, with what you say. Like, we're here to meet yeah. our foster baby. And so we walk down this hallway and walk in, and he's in this little bassinet. And I walk up and he is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. These huge, well, his eyes weren't open at that time, but like just, I mean, a head full of hair all over his shoulders too and forehead. He is so tiny. I think he was six pounds, three ounces. He's just tiny, oh. tiny, tiny. He's still tiny. And 
Yeah, I just was flooded with something. And I've talked to my friends who've given birth, like my body like had a similar experience. My breasts like swelled up, like all this like crazy stuff coming out of me. Like I was just like, could not stop crying. Like I- Just in oxytocin. It was insane. Yeah. And so we met our son and wow. Yeah. What a ride. What I, yeah. I just can't even imagine- like the walking down the hallway I think I would have almost been like giddy and about to vomit at the same time I I felt like I was out like I yeah of emotion and I continued to feel that like I honestly learned so much more about yoga and meditation because I needed to find a way to regulate myself even as a yoga Mm -hmm. teacher like I dove into the practices and Reiki and breath work in such a different way because I would be in court waiting to hear if Angel was staying or going and be like, I'm going to pass out. Like I might pass out. So what can I do here to ground myself in the space? What can I do to be more present? Mm -hmm. And it was absolute necessity, absolute necessity. And Mary Beth, can I ask, was, did you ever consider just going down the adoption route rather than the foster adoption route? Or it just sounds like it happened. I don't know why, but no, we didn't. Yeah. We, you know, when you learn certain things, you can't unlearn them. And I'm yes. sure you've had that yes. experience. Yes. Yeah. So the, when I heard how many kids were in LA County and here I am, most of the things I've suffered from in my life were self-inflicted. And so I'm a very privileged white woman who is not wanting for much living in Los Angeles. Like it, I didn't approach it with that in mind, but like knowing that we had a home and knowing that we were willing to take the risk and now knowing how many people aren't, mm. I think if you have the call and you feel like you might be able to take some hits, like that's why you step into this. Yes. I'm different now because of this. And in a lot of great ways. And also the other night I woke up hysterically sobbing because I had a nightmare that a social worker showed up here and came to take him and it's not possible any longer because he is my adopted son, but the trauma of it still lives in my body. And I haven't, you know, it's been such a year that I haven't even really had an opportunity to deal with it. And so I woke up and he's been sleeping with us. He's just out of control right now, almost three <laughs> and I've been kind of annoyed at having him in our bed all the time because he like sleeps sideways and like you yeah, wake up like a foot like, underneath your head. But I picked him up like and I held him all night, like and woke up and I still that nightmare was like fresh in my in my body and my mind. And I woke up and I'm like, he's right here. He's right here. And, and yours, he's mine. Yeah. It's, but like I said, you're different. And in a lot of wonderful ways, like your heart's cracked open and you have a different experience. 
my capacity to love feels much, much greater. I think that's a gift of motherhood and also of this path in particular. And I also feel like I am pretty grateful most of the time. And he's terrorizing us right now. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's like I Googled the other day, I feel scared of my three-year-old. And I came up right away. Like I was like, oh, other people feel this way too. However, he's just a wild little boy. And I am like, I've been given this gift of perspective with foster care of like how lucky I am to (laughs) endure another tantrum or, you know, give in to gummy bears for breakfast or whatever it might be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can have whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I know you mentioned like you used, you had to delve into certain practices, learning how to hold the fear and to go through it anyway. I know in my own mothering experience, the fear is real, but I guess I, it's a different kind of fear. And I was thinking for me, just the actual thought that someone could come and take Ava away from me and it would really be no different than someone coming to take Angel away from you because you have loved them with your entire being. And I mentioned before about how, for me, it's been really, it's been an awakening in defining family, I guess, having a look through your journey and how, how family is more than even just we've adopted our son, you know, it's because you've loved him and because he's broken through all of these elements of who you are and yourself and opened up your heart. That's what bound you and will ever forever bind you together as a family. Yeah, it's it's interesting too with sometimes with the conversation with biological parents because I'm not as sensitive as I was in the beginning. It's like you learn all the things that people might say and how to deal with it. And I was like on high alert. And now I'm like much more, it doesn't matter. Like this is my baby and I I want to help people learn to converse in a better way around it. But mm-hmm. one thing that comes up a lot is, oh yeah, I'd be interested, but I really want my own. My mm-hmm. own is like the most triggering thing you can really say to an adoptive parent or even foster. Like, you know, oh, is this the same child, right? Are you still fostering or there be more? But I think with the my own thing is, uh, what is the book, Khalil Gilbron or Gibran? He talks about, if there's a poem, I'll send it to you and you could perhaps share it. It's on children and it's about how we don't own any of our children. Like mm. our children belong to the earth and the universe and to this greater human family. And it, it doesn't matter how we come together. And I, and my husband's also on podcasts of like with men who, you know, they want to see their DNA continued or this lineage and stuff. And like how, what we do with nurture is so important and how we raise our children and who we raise them to be. And this idea of like my own, however you come into parenthood, a stellar aunt. Yeah. Like she's the best aunt in the world. That's going to be her parenthood journey. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps adding some more hues to the conversation, some more color to the conversation. It's not just, 
This is what you do. This is how you become a parent is really important. Yes, I think that's so true. It's probably part of the real, the another point of fear in realizing exactly that. Like we don't own our children. Like however they have come to you, and I, you know, I birthed Ava. She's not mine. I think she is a lot of the time, just because she's so <laughs> cute and I want to hold her. But I, totally. I do remember a, a friend, and she's much older than I, and she, she's taught me that lesson. You know, she's enlightened me to that as well. That. In her motherhood journey, she is very aware that she doesn't own her children. And I was like, oh, that's just something we don't have a lot of space to reflect on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so what was the... The process, how long, how many years was it? It would have been two years of... Two and a half years. Two and a half years of living in a uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah, it was two and a half years of living in uncertainty. So just a little. So what happened then was we didn't hear from anyone. Oh, it turned out to Angel was named by his biological mother before she left the hospital. So that's his name. And that's why we kept his name. And then we gave him his middle name because when we thought his name was just baby boy, we named him Aiden, which means tiny but fiery the way that we we spelled it. And we didn't even know him yet. And it's totally on the money. Um, and so we didn't hear from anyone for quite a while and people kept saying like oh this is just you're you're gonna adopt you're gonna adopt soon oh this is golden this is golden (laughs) and then the wheels came out just all sorts of stuff and I don't talk about his specific story and that's because it's his and people close to us know as support. And of course, like our social workers know and whatnot. Um, But just, it was at a point where we are going to court every single two weeks and being told he would leave. And the toll this took on my nervous system and my heart was, insane to the point where like, I don't know how I was doing what I was doing. I went back in my Google calendar the other day. Cause I was like, I'm curious what you were putting yourself through during this time. And I looked and I was working and teaching and doing all the things. Cause I think I just was grasping at some sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. And if I stopped, I was afraid I was going to die. So it was one foot in front of the other. And it I would have been home. to stop and have that space and have to confront it. Yeah. And I sat with it a lot. I wrote about it a lot. I cried a lot, but I couldn't just stay there. I had to also yeah. do things. Keep moving. And that was important. And I talked to a foster mom the other day who's, it looks like she will um, have her son reunify and they've had him for almost a year. And I just, felt sick. But what I said to her was, you have no idea, right? Like there were so many times I was told Angel was leaving and he didn't. But if Angel was going to go back to one of his biological parents, because he, or not go back, go to hit them for the first time because they were doing the work, Matt and I were so willing to support. It just didn't happen. In a way, that's almost harder. 
and it, I don't know if hard is the right way, but the, it's so complex, isn't it? Because it's so complex. With every fiber of your being, you want him to stay here. But then also, if that was the path, then we're going to be there in supporting this as well. Yeah. And there's um, a mom who cool. doesn't have her baby, like yeah. because I have her baby, yeah. and he's my son. However, she's still his mom, and then as he grows. It's a little confusing now. Like we we refer to them and just not in great detail yet, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about it a lot, right? Like we'll talk about them a lot. And I'm in contact with some relatives and it's really important to me. He can decide what he wants to do with that, but I want to keep that I kept it open. Yeah. yeah. But basically, so we... It just like it, it every time I thought we were going to rest, then something else would happen. Right. Like every time I even said to my best friend, we were leading something at Kripalu and I was like, wow, I can finally relax. And then another relative came out of the woodwork in like a year, a year and three quarters through who already knew about him the whole time. So we ended up going to trial. I took the stand and testified. It was one of the the proudest moments of my life because I kept it together and I can get very flustered and like shy and red and all of this. And I, I just, one of the lawyers came up to me afterwards and he goes, do you want a job? (laughs) I said, no, "No, I never want to come in here again. But also what happened was like a mama's ferocity and like knowing, like I knew every effing date I knew every pediatrician date. I, I, my, my, you know, that's what we do. Like, this is my child. Like I know every single thing about him and God bless my husband, best dad ever. But if he got up there, he would not know that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I was thinking about my partner as well. I was like, I don't think he would have been able to no. put that stuff down. <laughs> I, had, I had said to Matt the night before, because they said we wouldn't have to take the stand. And I said to him the night before I go, I'm having a very intuitive hit that we will, and I want it to be me. And he goes, yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> you sit down now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was August 2019, and we adopted him July 9th, 2020. Wow. So it's been a ride. And Absolutely. Mary Beth, at what point does it become clear that you can adopt is it just then they sort of say no one else has come forward in a certain period of time or I guess that what trial that trial was termination of parental rights and then also ruling out these other relatives okay who had like never seen him never had a visit with him things like that so supposedly that's it. And I was able to relax to a certain degree, but there were appeals and you just wait until I had that call from that lawyer and that piece of paper that said he was adopted. I wasn't totally relaxed. My husband was, he was like, he was adopted a year ago, you know, like really at that trial, that's how we felt. And I was like, not till it's done. So two and a half years. Our process was fast compared to some people. It's a huge thing. I, yeah, I think it's a whole new world that I hadn't really thought of in terms of fostering to adopt. And like you said, it's probably approaching it in terms of fostering 
with adoption at the end if that's the path that it's meant to be. But it just sounds like the biggest lesson in in yourself, in what you're capable of, in trusting in something outside of yourself, in reflecting, in being present, in releasing. I imagine just even hearing your story, I'm sitting here and I'm so tense, you know, and I wasn't there and I know how it's ended for you guys, but I feel like I'm holding so much tension Mm -hmm. in my body. I just think your parenthood journey must have revealed so much to you about what it is to be human. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the big things about foster care and why I would encourage people to do it. One, there's kids that need us, period. And also, this will bring you alive, right? You're going to feel every single nook and cranny of your heart. You're going to find out what you're capable of, which is far more than I ever thought I was capable of. I thought one of these hits I would have been down, but there were dozens and dozens and dozens. And, you know, I've, I've had to be really careful of not just moving into this, like wanting to play it totally safe now that we're out of the proverbial woods Mm -hmm. and keep that open heart and keep that sense of where am I needed? Where can I be of service? Where can I honestly take some hits for other people? Right. Because many people are, it's just unbelievable what's been occurring over this last year and what's been occurring forever and ever and ever. And the more that we can awaken to that and become someone who's willing to have, you know, to open their heart and to, Mm -hmm. to learn and to show up. I, I really think foster care has revealed so much to us and the gift of it is, is the best little kid we could have ever imagined. Like he is my best friend. Like we have so much fun together, adventures and laughing and um, constant singing of Let It Go from Frozen. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sure we could do a rendition right now and oh I'm sure many God. parents would be like, yes, okay, we've had enough now. <laughs> yes, I found myself, Angel was at the other, like upstairs the other day and it was on and I was singing the whole song and I was like, no, like <laughs> go off. it's not my time to be on stage like I could have burnout time now but I'm still singing yeah (laughs) and would you say as well it's going to be a ongoing and forever journey I think just seeing pictures of you and your husband you know if you had have had a baby through the means of pregnancy and birth you would have had a white baby and that's not who your son is and and learning about how to celebrate and I guess enrich his life through his culture as well constant journey and I'm very lucky to have especially one friend in particular Kira who lives in LA and we went through this whole journey together and she adopted the two most beautiful little girls and she has given me a lot of support. And I think going forward, it's just this understanding of how we can support him the best that we can and also acknowledge our whiteness. Mm. And there's things we won't understand. But even what was so weird was decorating his room before ever knowing who he was. It's all decorated and stuff I brought back from my journeys to this one particular area in Mexico. 
And when I was speaking to his biological father on one of the many times I got to know him, he revealed that that's where he's from. And so Angel's entire room and our entire home is filled with this. And I know so many people from this area and that's just not a mistake. Mm. It doesn't just happen in all of the world. It's, it's just crazy to me. And so the more that we can understand his culture and to expose him to, you know, Spanish speaking countries and, you know, what, whatever we can do. So, well, it's about, yeah, creating that space, but also protecting his space as well. And I imagine a lot of people come and even well-meaning people, there must be an element of curiosity to his story and, oh, he's your son. Okay. And I, it's even sometimes I know in my life, like people ask like, where are you from? Or, you know, there's a pause in between the things they say, which is filled with so much. Um, you're like okay you might not be saying anything but I hear what you're you're saying a lot yeah 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 and how I guess are you and your partner or husband navigating that I imagine it's been from day one as well yeah. yeah we don't get any comments really on us not looking the same like people asking or saying anything out in public However, we got a lot of questions when we started fostering of, was he born on drugs? Where's his mom? Blah, blah, blah. Like even I had a yoga teacher come up to me in front of a bunch of people and say, how do you feed him? And I remember all my friends just looked up like daggers. And (laughs) I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, and she pointed at her breasts. And I said, I feed him formula. And she goes, oh, And I said, and I was also raised on formula and I'm doing okay. So thank you. Like that kind of stuff of just, or, you know, asking something about his mother, (laughs) just say, it's none of your business. And I've had to be short and protective. And I was saying to you before we started recording, like with social media and the availability of being able to look someone up online, I think. At times people believe they have a right to know everything and it's a right, like, tell me this, give me an update. And I would have complete strangers and, you know, a lot were well-meaning of like, give me an update on his case because they were praying or something like that. I can hardly get dressed. Like I can't update you, nor am I going to. And so I, I posted a few times of like, whatever I, I share is all I'm sharing. So what you see here and what I write, that's it. There's not going to be more story in my DMs or if you see me at the park, this is it. Unless you're, you're in not my- entitled. Yeah. yeah. And I think you don't get to have your own private chapters of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes for us all. I'm, I do it yeah. too. Like, I want to know more. Right. But I don't ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are curious by nature, aren't we? Yeah, that's so true. It's not that we don't want to know, but actually. <laughs> yeah, at times, but I think too, it's made me more protective of my own stories. There's a lot I don't talk about anymore because it's my life and it's for me. And I process it in my journal and to my husband and to God. And that's who I'm. That's who I'm DMing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got some other direct channels with yeah, many yeah. followers. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
(laughs) And what has it taught you, I guess, the process? And I think you spoke as well, like you didn't have your awakening until you became a mother to Angel. I guess along with the awakening, do you think that you grew a greater sense of belonging and sort of it almost sounds like you came home to yourself and your family? Yes, I would say it put me in direct relationship with what I was meant to be, with the things that really matter now are so profound that I'll do anything to protect them. Mm -hmm. And before I think I liked attention, you know, I liked telling things and I liked having those conversations. And now the deeper I dive into my own life, the less I need that. I write because I'm a creative being who loves connection. And when I don't, it's because I don't want to. (laughs) But what's important to me now is profoundly important. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that must have just shifted on so many levels, important Mm -hmm. in the things that you've come to realize about yourself, in the external things in life, and even I imagine you're moving, you know, you've uprooted from LA and now you're out here. (laughs) Being in nature. It's like now being in nature, like I always thought being in nature meant you had to have hiking boots on all the time and you had to like be willing to hike six miles up a mountain or whatever. Now I know that's not the case. It's I have a little tree stump in the backyard that I love that I will go put a meditation cushion on and sit or to just sit. And last night I sat there and just looked up at the evergreen trees and at the stars. And it it right sizes me with the universe and what's occurring. And I began to crave that more than I craved any kind of hustle and bustle of a city or any kind of like quote unquote belonging by being included. Now I know what it means to really belong to myself and belong to what it is that I value and who it is that I value. It's been a bridge. A gift. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was just thinking like a, it almost sounds like a bridge into wholeness. Like you're able to see so many more facets of yourself through the process that you've been on. Absolutely. I love that. And Having, I guess, now left the the foster care system, the adoption system, what are your reflections on the things that they do right and the things that we need to be changing? <laughs> like, I'm sure it's oh. a massive question, but yeah. I just thought it's not every day I get the opportunity to ask. <laughs> the system is so overloaded. I mean, there's 35,000 kids in L.A. County alone. Um in foster 35,000. Yeah. And in the country, I believe it's 1,500 or 1,200 enter the system every day in the U.S. So we know the U.S. is a mess, right? We can all agree on that at this moment. So <laughs> the foster care system is a direct reflection of that and where funds are allocated and where they're not. The social workers we had were amazing. We were so lucky. We had like... I I ran into some really tough people in foster care, but not directly. Like the people we worked with were absolutely wonderful and so overworked, like mm-hmm. so overworked the amount of children they had to see. You said before, and I know in my life, you can't unknow things once mm-hmm. you know um, things that I've seen and the horrors that I know exist in the world. It 
really takes a toll when you can't fix it, when you can't fix it, when you can't participate, when you're limited by things outside of your control, like that takes a personal hit. So I can only imagine for the few people who choose to do this work, it must be just what's with like decimating you know it must yeah, be yeah. really destroying on so many levels I have to be, like I I think some people have to become very robotic because they're yeah. watching children go to places where they're not safe but like if the judge decides it decides that the judge decides and that was my biggest fear was that he wouldn't be cared for and he would think that I left him and that for me was just like just thinking that he would be crying and that I wasn't there and that there was nothing I can do about it. Like that's what kept me up. And even the other night in that nightmare, that's, that's the real heart of it is like, it's not about me. It's, it's him. And. Yeah. I think I read you'd written that um, you early on maybe it was even when you first met Angel and you had a moment of clarity that you were there to catch him (laughs) yeah it was a falling yes it was I I, yeah I remember when those words came to me and it was like I'm falling off the Grand Canyon but there's nowhere to catch no one to catch me I'm here to catch him yeah I I was at a coffee shop one day in Pasadena and I loved Pasadena. It was where I would escape LA all the time. And I was at this cute little coffee shop and I was standing next to these two women. And I noticed one of the women um, was a woman I would see at the courthouse all the time. And it turned out she was a lawyer and I was standing there and they were talking really loud and they were both lawyers for the children's law center. And they were talking about how depressed they were how lawyers were taking leave of absence. Like there were, you know, suicide attempts. Like I cannot imagine like this system is so challenging, but I also feel like as a foster parent, you're not even allowed to say that you would want the child to stay like it, like it's you're supposed, you're not allowed to cry in court. You're not allowed to be human. And that for me is, was the hardest part because I'm very human. I'm not great at pulling it together sometimes. And so. And also um, that's who you would want to put a child with. Yeah. Someone who is so someone to continue. Yeah. How would you expect a parent to continue? That was my biggest thing of like, I don't, I don't want to go through that again right now of like not feeling human and not knowing So I do think a big shift that can be made is, you know, the biological parents need to be given a a decent amount of time to reunify, to rehabilitate, whatever that looks like. But then the, the window for relatives to come forward needs to shorten. It should not be two years that a child doesn't know someone that they're allowed to come and disrupt a family that's in place. And so that to me is probably one of the biggest things and criticisms I have for the system is it's not fair to the child and it's not fair to the foster family to sit and wonder if you're going to get a phone call that some random aunt has appeared on their like one year birthday or a year Mm -hmm. and a half. And so shortening that time and and doing a better job rehabilitating the parents, right? This system, a lot of these parents were born into the system and then they go back into the system with their own child. 
And we are not doing a great job at making sure kids and parents don't slip through the cracks. We're definitely not. And so that for me is like the biggest thing is that rehabilitation and then also allowing the foster parents to be human and to be, uh, to be spoken to like they are. Their journey. Yeah. To be validated. I can't imagine going through everything and on top of it all, not being able to be me, you know, I've been yeah. crying just talking to you. Like I would have been terrible. <laughs> I need a strong cup of coffee or a drink after this podcast. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. All this crying. You carry so many emotions around his family as well. I can see in talking to you, you acknowledge so well the loss that has occurred for you to step into this role talking about how together you're in motherhood, you know, with his mother as well. And I thought all maybe the sadness you might feel towards his family missing out on watching him grow and light and enrich your lives. It's a mix. There's anger too. Yeah. What a little baby shouldn't go through. So I do... I use my practice to soften and to find that compassion too. And, but I think at times too, that mama ferocity of just like anytime angel suffers, right? Like that's devastating to me. And it's all, it's just so complex. And I, I'll be there to answer the questions I can and to hear him out. But I also think you know, providing him with perspectives from other adoptees Mm -hmm. and seeking out communities where he sees himself represented. Like, I think that's extremely, extremely important. And that's at the forefront of it all. Angel's at the forefront of it all. You know, that's, that's it. Yeah. And it's a little dude forever. Yeah. Again, that double-edged sword of it's wonderful to have those communities around you, but that they exist is problematic in itself, that they need to exist. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah. But thank you so much. Thank you for taking us on your journey. And of course. Oh, it's, yeah, I feel emotional. So I'm sorry to hold all of it (laughs) out on a Sunday morning, but I do know that you're going to go truck truck driving and have a breakfast burrito. So I think, (laughs) I think it'll be all right. But thank you. I, one thing I guess I haven't talked to you about as well is the coming into your body through your yoga practice and Reiki. And I guess that sounds like it's just brought you such a level of healing. Mm-hmm. Is that it fair to say? To. Absolutely. And it will continue to, I think too, we moved up here to let the quiet heal us and to let nature mm-hmm. heal us. And that's passive. Every day I feel a little more grounded and a little more present. There's space for me to feel in a way that I didn't feel in LA And I also don't have the constant reminders of things that occurred in Los Angeles, like a lot of beautiful moments, but I also needed to leave and start over. We needed to leave and start over. So a new adventure as a family. I'm, I'm in love with a new adventure. (laughs) I find it sometimes a bit scary thinking like we might not leave London for a long time I'm like oh no oh no (laughs) yeah well thank you so much Mary Beth it's been such a pleasure talking to you my pleasure completely 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Come connect with me on Instagram with the handle born underscore underscore together. I'd love to hear from you. And please do share, subscribe and rate the podcast to help it get out to a wider audience. I'd love if you could. Until next week. Bye.